Good morning, everybody. I was checking to check the clock. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name, once again, is Chris Kimston. I am the Young Adult and Missions Minister here at Lutheran Church of Hope Des Moines. Very excited to be with all of you this morning. Uh, just a quick heads up to all you young adults in the room, people who find yourselves in your 20s and your 30s or that quarter stage life of things. We're heading to lunch right after this to uh, Firehouse Subs. So uh, come and Buy some lunch from a good, uh, a good restaurant that supports some uh, first responders in our neighborhood. Uh, one of the benefits of preaching is you get to plug your own events. So they gave me a microphone, so this is how I used it. Um, another thing that we have going, yeah, Eric's like, and muted. Um, <laughs> another thing that I'm doing up here besides plugging my events is uh, continuing a series that we started just this last week called Faith on Film. Faith on Film, and it's this really cool opportunity um, that we've, we've taken to go through each week um, to look at a different big movie that came out in the last year or so. Some of them are big blockbusters. Uh, some of them are like movies that won a bunch of awards. Uh, and we're looking at the intersection of faith uh, like and our faith story in how they connect with these films, and some of them are not like blatantly obvious how that would occur. Uh, we did Lady Bird this last week. Feel free to uh, catch up on the podcast. You can find that online or on Apple Podcasts as well. Where Hope Des Moines Sermons, I believe, is what you search to find that. So you can check that one out from John last week. And I'm super excited to get to do this because I am a movie person. I love movies, uh, and I know that some people like are not movie people. Like that's not how they like choose to spend their time. But I will watch a movie if it's in the theater, if it's you know um, just at a house on any size of screen. I love movies. Are there any other movie people? Quick show of hands, balcony people. Yes, sounds good. I can see you all up there. Hello, good morning. Um, I love movies, and it's because I love stories. I think stories are so compelling, and movies really are the most compelling way that we have to tell a story. It's the visual effects, it's the art of acting, it's the, you know, all of these uh, soundtracks and beautiful movie scores that we have. I love all of it. And uh, when I tell people that I love to go watch movies um, and eat movie snacks, also a very important piece of watching a movie, um, when people ask me what my favorite type of movie is, there are certain conventional answers like action movies, or comedies, or dramas, or romance movies, or horror films, like scary movies. Some people really like those. Um, if you were to ask me what my favorite type of movie is, I would have to say superhero films. And I know what you're thinking, that's not a type of movie. It is its own genre of film these days. There are so many of them, and not just that, but... Um, they, they incorporate so many different pieces from all of these different um, types of other movies. They're often very dramatic. Obviously, there's a lot of action in a lot of superhero movies. Uh, there's a lot of romance scenes. Some of them are even pretty scary, and some of them are really funny. Uh, they're more popular than ever. The movie Black Panther that came out just this last month, um, a lot of people have seen it. Uh, there's, first of all, it's an excellent movie, but... So many people have gone to see this. Not, it, it can't just be for the spectacle. It's actually sold better in the box office than almost any other movie in like movie history and box office history. And the question is, why are all of these different people from different stages of life, from different parts of the country and different parts of the world, all different life stages and demographics, why are we all flocking to see superhero movies? Well, I have two reasons, I think, of why these movies uh, can be so popular. Um, 
They might seem contradictory to each other, but I think that both are true. The first reason why I think superhero movies are so popular is because in a messy world of just craziness and complication, there's so much pain, so many things going on these days that just seem so overwhelming. If not explicitly, then implicitly, we feel like we need a superhero. We feel like we can't imagine some sort of regular solution to what seem like extraordinary circumstances. So we feel like we need a superhero. The second reason why I think um, superhero movies have been so successful is because they teach us more of what it's like to be human. They teach us more about ourselves. They inform our own stories. And no other superhero film reflects this more than our film for today. Trust me, I've seen them all. It's Wonder Woman. Quick show of hands, last show of hands today. Um, Anybody seen Wonder Woman? Seen it? Yes. Great movie. It's at this point that we uh, make the necessary disclaimer that Lutheran Church of Hope does not fully endorse uh, the actions, language, or certain opinions of certain things attached in this film. But it's a great movie. Um, (laughs) If you, in all seriousness, if you find it... um, If you find it appropriate for your viewing context, I think that this is a really great movie. And uh, in sitting and watching it with my wife uh, earlier this week, knowing like with the mindset that I was going to have to preach a sermon about this, I was like blown away. I couldn't decide. It was very difficult. I did decide. Don't worry. But I I went to John and was like, John, can we just watch the whole movie? And John said, no. (laughs) No. But let me give you a little bit of a background of, of this, this movie. Uh, her name is not first name Wonder, last name Woman. Uh, her name is Diana, and she was created by Zeus himself. And her mission, at least in the movie, was to kill the god of war, the personification of evil, the god of war, Ares. Now, a lot of you, I just lost you, because you said, Chris, like, like Greek mythology... Why are we talking about someone else's gods in a Christian church? Why, how do you think that's appropriate? Listen, like I said, the whole thing in trying to view it through this lens of like trying to see the Jesus story, it was pretty incredible. Let me, let me say it this way instead and see if this sounds like something that we could learn something from this morning. She was formed out of dirt. She, she says the clay of the earth, uh, created in the image of God, And that God breathed life into her and she was uniquely created as the child of God to defeat the powers of death and evil and save mankind. I don't know if that sounds like a story that we've told before, perhaps even in this room, but it sounds incredibly close to the Jesus story. And what I'm going to suggest is that the story of Wonder Woman has everything to do with how God sees us and how he feels about us and then how we can love each other. But before we get to awesome action scenes in, in this great movie, we have to start with John 3.16. Now, John 3.16, even if you're not, you heard it, you heard it read earlier, uh, even if you're not, quote unquote, a church person, um, we have people tell us that all the time, I'm not really a church person. Even if you're not a church person, I would be surprised if you've never run into John 3.16. We see it on wristbands. We see it on signs at sporting events. Athletes write it on themselves. There's good old Tim Tebow on the top right was famous for writing it on his face when he played uh, football at the University of Florida. Um, 
People make artsy signs to put it up as decorations in their house. Uh, they write it on their vehicles, apparently. That's, there it is. I, you, see, you can see this verse everywhere. And if you went to Sunday school ever and maybe didn't even need to, you might have this thing memorized because it's one of the most popular verses of Scripture uh, in the whole Bible. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. And one of the reasons why that's so popular is it's a very succinct summary of the gospel story. And I'm not here to say that it's not a great succinct narrative of the gospel story. Uh, I'm, I don't have a hot take on John 3.16. I, I, I think it's great. I think that the invitation for us today is to look a little more at the verse and we can explore how it connects to both Wonder Woman and God's attitude towards us. And I want to do this by looking a little bit closer at the language. So the beginning of John 3.16, it's often translated that God so loved the world. God didn't just love the world. He so loved it. And I've even heard sermons about God so loving the world, and that's, that's how much God loves the world. And he gave his one and only son, and that's definitely true in a big picture sense. But I think that if we, if we look at the original language of the verse, it gives us some interesting insight into the motive of God uh, in, in the writing of this verse. And I have two specific Greek words for you. Everybody say the word hutas. Yeah, right? That's a fun one to say. Uh, it's the one translated as so, and it doesn't mean so in the way that I so love superhero movies, or I so wish the Red Sox would win the World Series this year, or I so wish that when I opened my window, the blinds to my window this morning, I did not see the horror scene that was in front of me. I am so tired of snow. That's how we as modern people use that word, so, and it's affected how we read this verse. We use it as a modifier. And sometimes, though, this word, hutas, in the Bible is actually translated as thus or in this way. So instead of a modifier, it's an explanation. Instead, this verse could be translated as God loved the world in such a way that he gave his one and only son. It's not the extent of his love, it's the character of his love. It's not the extent of it, it's his character. And the point that I'd like to bring to us today is this. We love others the way that we ourselves are loved, and we are all loved by God. We love others the way that we are loved, and we are all loved by God. But what about love isn't all love the same? All true love, at least? Isn't all true love the same? What do you mean the character of love? It, all, it might seem like semantics to you. But when we say love, we mean a lot of different things. Notice I said I loved superhero movies like 63 seconds ago, and nobody freaked out. Because that's how we use the word love. It doesn't seem out of character for me to both say that I love superheroes and love my wife, Kelsey. Those are two very different feelings, and if they're ever not, I need some help. <laughs> My wife is Wonder Woman, but that's a whole different sermon for a different day. 
We use the word love a lot about a lot of different things. And some people say that we overuse the word love. I'm not here to get on the soapbox about that. I think it's a really good thing to live passionately. But because we only have this one word, love, that we use in so many different circumstances uh, towards so many different things, the danger is that that word gets dulled a little bit for us. The word love, its meaning gets dulled. And the Bible actually does this a lot better than our language does. In the New Testament, it was written in a language called Greek, which is what the word hutas was from, was Greek. Uh, They actually have a bunch of different words uh, for feelings that all get translated as love. So all of these different words are used, and everybody goes, well, English only has love. So it all gets translated as love, but it's different. Uh, Just to list a couple of these, uh, philia. Philia is is a Greek word uh, that means friend, like love of friendship. So like my friend Jed, um, I can love my friend Jed like, his, like, like a friend does. That's friendship love. It's different than other kinds of love. Ludos is playful love, often said to be like at the beginning of a relationship. In our culture, we call it young love. That's a different kind of love. Eros is a uh, f- passionate physical love. It's love that's for a very specific context and a very specific set of actions, very different from the other types of love. So it's hard to know just what this love is, but everybody say the word agape. Agape. That's a word that you might have heard before. Um, A lot of churches either have it in their name and their mission statement, or they have, um, it's in a lot of like nonprofits uh, mission statements. Agape. Agape is the word for love used most in the New Testament, and it's the word that is used to articulate God's love for us. When it talks about God loving people, the word agape is the one that's used. Now, if you've ever been to like maybe two weddings even, you have heard it at least at one of them. First uh, Corinthians 13 is almost always read, love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast, it is not proud, etc., now, that was, a, that was written in the Bible. It was a letter written by Paul to a community of people. And you might say, isn't it kind of weird, like, when you read that? Like, why is Paul explaining love to people? Like, shouldn't you just, like, kind of inherently know what love is? But it would have made a lot more sense to them because what they were doing is they were seeing the word agape. He was explaining a very specific type of love. He was saying that what agape is, what this specific brand of love is, is that agape love is patient, it's kind, it does not boast, it is not proud. Essentially, agape love is the love that's for everyone. Agape love is the love that's for everyone. And oftentimes, I think that, like, our call to love everyone kind of is secondary, like, okay, as people of Christ, and or people trying to follow Jesus, or Christians, or Uh, however you would identify yourself, you're like, yes, I'm called to love everyone. For example, you might be like, man, I just can't stand Ted from accounting. Just can't stand him. It might even be to the point where you're like, I hate Ted from accounting. Well, actually, you know, I know I'm called to love everyone because God loves everyone, so I love Ted as a brother in Christ, but I can't stand (laughs) Ted from accounting. Oftentimes, that those feelings that agape love for everyone is secondary to whatever feeling is on the surface because that's what it means to be a human. We often, as our Bible verse said for today, we choose the darkness instead of the light. 
We often have trouble with that, but that love, that love for everybody, that passionate agape love is the love that Jesus has for us. So if we follow that love, it will often lead us to places that we didn't originally intend. So giving some more context for the movie for Diana, it takes place during World War I. Uh, she grew up as like kind of the incumbent queen uh, of this awesome island of powerful women, and she learns about World War I, and she's like, well, it must be the god of war that's behind all of this. And the spy, uh, the American spy, um, Chris Pine, is like, Sure, okay, World War I is the god of war. That makes sense. They, they, they kind of look at her strangely throughout the movie because she's like, we must find the god of war. And they're like, we're fighting Germany, but you can stick around because you're really good at fighting. So they just kind of bring her along throughout this movie and um, give her strange looks, but she, she doesn't quite know how to dress in the context. They, they have to dress her up like a, like a proper English woman at the time. The joke is that the sword doesn't go with the outfit. And she... She's looking to kill this god of war, which she believes will end all suffering on the planet. But as you see, her love for everyone, to the bewilderment of those around her, leads her somewhere else. Let's take a look. First of all, that's so awesome. <laughs> Man. Jesus would often stop as he isn't and his disciples were on the way somewhere to help people who, quote, weren't part of the plan. I think it's probably actually one of the, uh, like, kind of an opinion or, like, a stereotype that his disciples eventually put on him. They're like, where's Jesus? He's probably back helping somebody. I'll go get him. Because, you see, it's not that he wasn't, like, passionate about getting to where he was going. It's not that where they were going wasn't important. It's that so was everybody in between here and there. It's not just about where we're going, it's about everywhere and the people in between. The disciples who had all of these expectations for Jesus were basically saying to him, listen, it's nice, but that's not what we're here to do. You heard Chris Pine say it. We're, listen, listen, we are doing something, but just listen, it's, you just don't understand. Basically, they're saying to Jesus, this doesn't fit with my agenda for you. Jesus basically responded with so often throughout the New Testament and all of his actions and the way that he was towards people the same way that Diana did, which was, sure, but this is what I came to do. This is what I came to do. To people who need help, to see those people who need help and help them, that's agape, that's sacrificial love. Chris Pine's character in the movie, he's a really good guy. He's really well-intentioned. He's just trying to complete his mission the best way that he knows how. And I think that he, honestly, if we're, we're looking at, a metaphor, at these characters as metaphors, I think that Chris Pine in this movie is all of us. We're going from one thing to the next, often missing those who are around us in between here and where we're trying to go. It's really hard, but we try to find these opportunities to follow this example of Jesus. And one of the ways that we, we tried to do this in, in this last season, in this last week, was this event called Mission Des Moines. Um, it was more of, a, more of a week of missions. And it's important to know kind of how missions works at Hope. So a lot of churches um, 
like make their own versions of a lot of different things that are going on in the community. If they want um, to feed the homeless, they'll start a food pantry. If they want to do um, a lot of these different types of work, they'll, they'll make their own version of it. Hope realized that we live in a fantastic city with a bunch of wonderful nonprofits and organizations already doing incredible work here for people in our city and those in our community. And so the way that Hope does it is with these things called mission partners. So if you ever hear on the 360 or you hear us talk about missions partners, these are these organizations that we partner with. We intentionally give uh, resources and time and energy and volunteers uh, to partner with them in what they're already doing. And I thought maybe my... You know me, and I even made a plug as the young adult minister earlier, but the other part of my, my gig here is the, as, as the missions minister. And you know, for our missions team, we have a leadership team, but do you know that we don't have a missions team? We don't have a, a group of people that do missions because guess what? The church is our missions team. We are the worship team. These are things that we all do together as members of the church, not just because we serve on a team for them. We are the missions team, all of us. And I thought, wouldn't this be a neat idea um, if, you know, a couple weeks after Easter where we've been poured into from the story of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, that we uh, could use some of that love towards some of these people who do such incredible work. Um, we partnered with organizations like JAPA, like Freedom for Youth, like DMARC. Uh, we... And I don't have a bunch of big numbers to present to you about this because that's not why we were there. We weren't there to raise money or funds or resources, but instead we were there to provide some hands-on help for those organizations that are doing so much for our communities, our city, and those in it. And I'm so proud of every single person who showed up for those events because they just showed up and were like, what do you need us to do? We want, with one of the events, we weren't actually sure like, of the specifics of what this organization was going to ask us to do. And what it ended up being was they were like, we need you to help us basically dig a trench. And I was freaking out like, as the person kind of coordinating this from the church, like, oh my gosh, so somebody gets injured, people aren't going to like this, they're going to feel like they you know, wasted their time. Everybody that showed up was like, yeah, let's dig this trench. Let's do this thing. It was incredible because the, the, the compassion, the stance was, I am here to help. What do you need? And that's, that's really it. There weren't any t-shirts. There were no awards. And they served places and people that they likely, and yeah, most likely won't ever see again. But that's, they were there because they wanted to help. They were there because of love, of agape, of self-sacrificing love. And please don't misunderstand my tone in what I'm doing here. This is not me heaping guilt on people who weren't there. I'm just giving an example and highlighting how this looks in our own lives. And with all of this, this fancy Greek and all this, if you hear anything that I'm saying this morning about these Greek words, with agape, the biggest characteristic is that it expects nothing in return. With agape, it expects nothing in Return. You know what the Greek word is for uh, love that expects something in return? It's a trick question. There's no Greek word because that's not love. That's not it. It expects nothing in return. And you know how we show that love? It's because of the love that we're given. Because we love others the way that we are loved. 
and we are all loved by God. We love others the way that we are loved, and we are all loved by God. And another hard thing that I'd like to acknowledge in the room right now is I know that that's really hard to hear for some people. Because you might think that you haven't ever experienced that in your life. Some of us have had a blessing and opportunity to have family members or mentors or friends that love us like this. But maybe for you, it's a lot harder to think of an example of somebody that loves you like this. And with absolute respect and acknowledgement of whatever evils and circumstances that you have experienced in your life, I would like to say to you this morning that God loves you like that. We can love because Jesus loved us first. And not a type of love that expects anything. The story that we heard just a couple of weeks ago, Easter, do you know that Jesus didn't expect us to behave better after he did what he did? The verse isn't that God expected us all to behave, so he gave his one and only son. It seems ridiculous, but that's, I think, sometimes the way that we treat it. We're like, oh, man, Jesus wanted to kick us into high gear, so he sacrificed himself. No. The verse says, God so loved the world that Jesus gave himself for us. He knew that we would struggle with the exact same things in, the old, in, in this day and age that we did in the Old Testament. It's the same struggle. It's the same human brokenness. But there it is. But he did it because he loves us. And it's a love that expects nothing in return. It's, the, it's that kind of self-sacrificing, doesn't expect anything in return love that conquered death. It's all over that clip we watched. I didn't just show you that clip because it's like super awesome. I showed it to you because there's just, it's such a rich metaphor. Do you know what that bullet was? That first bullet heading for her was? That was death. That bullet hits anyone in those trenches that had been stuck there over a year. They're gone. They're done. Their story is over. But guess what? To Diana, this person standing in for Jesus in this metaphor, this person standing in for self-sacrificial love, what was death? It was nothing. She just swatted it away. It's death to anyone but Jesus who is that type of love. It was nothing. Those people had been stuck in, that, in those foxholes, in, in that trench for over a year. But with love out in front of them, they were set free. My favorite quote in there, you, I don't know if you could hear it. Chris Pine yelled it. He said, she's taking all the fire. There's this really powerful image that it got cut out in that clip, but you'll see it if you see the movie. Um, there's, it's an overhead view of her. Um, all the German forces in the, in the opposing trenches uh, start firing at her. And she is on one knee, which, by the way, is the posture, the classic timeless posture of service. She's on one knee with her shield down, and it's the overhead view, like I said. And you can see all of the fire centralized on her one spot. And no one behind her is getting hit. Every, she's deflecting every single hit. She's taking all the fire. And it wasn't until she took all the fire that all of those people who were stuck were released to be free from that death. Jesus, 
And the sacrificial love that he is is out in front of us taking all the fire, whether we recognize it or not. So what trench, maybe you've been stuck in a year, maybe it's been two years, maybe it's just the last season, but what trench are you being invited out of? Because sacrificial love is dealing with death out in front of you. So you might as well come out. The invitation is to see that sacrificial love, that agape in our own lives. And maybe the next step for you, honestly, it's gonna look different for everybody because we're all different stories, but maybe the next step for you is just to acknowledge that somebody can love you like that. And they can. And maybe not just somebody from this church, but the God that created everything around you sees you through the walls that you put up, through your circumstances, through your wrongdoings, not just for who you've been, not just for who you will be, but who you are right now. And he sees you and chooses you. Self-sacrificing love is taking all the fire. Maybe the next step for you is to pour that love out. Um, Maybe you're saying, I I do feel loved. I just don't know how to get involved. We have plenty of opportunities for that, but don't mistake this for a plug for something around here. It's not just about church. This is about how we live our day-to-day lives. It's a posture, this agape love to love everyone is something we do every day. 1 John 4 says that God is love. God is love. Guess which Greek word they used. It was agape. It was love. Self-sacrificing love because giving it all for us and expecting nothing in return isn't just something that God did on the cross. It isn't just something that he does for us today. It's something that he is. Self-sacrificing love. So however you feel called to a more love-filled, sacrificing way of acknowledging that in your own life, that's the invitation this week. Don't walk out of here and don't forget it. You are loved that way so you can love others because we love the way that we are loved and you are loved by God. So as we close today, here's a more nuanced, perhaps nuanced reading of our verse, John 3.16 today. For God... Love incarnate sacrificially loved us in such a way that he gave himself so that the power of death was nothing. But through our belief, we are granted with eternal life. Amen. We'll continue uh, with song. This isn't just something we hear about. It's not just something that we think about. This is something that we do. This is something that we are. So let's stand and let's sing about it together.